Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. We've got a big podcast for you this week with the Bahrain Grand Prix, an exciting race over the weekend, having to wrap it up for you. And then of course, we're looking forward to the Chinese Grand Prix, which is on this weekend as well and everything else in between. So as always, I'm Juad, joined by Baden. Um, and yeah, we had after the sort of lull that was the Australian Grand Prix and all the criticism that came out after that, we had a really action-packed Bahrain Grand Prix and suddenly Formula One's fixed again. Who would have thought that one race could change everything? But there we go, yet again, the, the doomsayers, uh, the silence well and truly. And uh, it's really in the midst now of this double header come to China and Ferrari. Uh, who would have thought coming into it after that hype on, on Mercedes? We thought that they were again going to be the class of the field, but Ferrari two from two, and it's all to play for for Lewis Hamilton and co. Exactly. So it was a 200th Grand Prix for Sebastian Vettel, and he took pole position. He won the race as well making a two from two as you say for the season and um, I guess yeah the way in which he won the race we all said that he lucked into winning in Melbourne but here this time in Bahrain it was um, all on Seb brilliant decision with the strategy of course um, and strategy and overtaking dictated the race which was good to see after the lack of overtaking in Melbourne and the one-stop strategy that everyone ran but um, yeah the winning strategy ended up being a one-stopper with Sebastian having to do a really really long stint on those soft tyres you know to try and keep the Mercedes guys behind Um, Mercedes both went on to the medium tyres for that final stint they won stop, but, you know, in the end, couldn't get past the Ferrari there. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, who finished second in the end, um, finished only 0.6 of a second behind. And I guess you were saying that he didn't really take the opportunity to to make a move on Vettel when it counted, you know, at the end. Um, just a bit of a half-baked attempt to overtake going into turn one, but nothing really, um, what do you call it, nothing really to capture the imagination. Yeah, he had plenty of opportunities there, really. He should have taken a lunge if he was that desperate. We see a Lewis Hamilton would have, Daniel Ricciardo, certainly Max Verstappen, but very timid from the fin, and it really underlines whether he's that desperate, and it's going to come to a crunch point, I'm sure, sooner than later, about his long-term future with that hot seat. Uh, Mercedes will, will want someone when Hamilton can't take the victory, a teammate who can pinch the points away, especially when it's Sebastian Vettel out front and Mercedes I guess for all that talk and the sky commentary saying how they've they've really um, uh, tricked Ferrari into going onto a contrasting strategy uh, with that early call to stop it didn't work out that way and uh, they they should have made it work but they didn't and Ferrari to especially Vettel's credit he hung in there with those tyres as he said at the end they were They were completely dead and obliterated, and yet he's got the victory yet again. Yeah, they were done. That's what he was uh, saying uh, on the radio afterwards. But, yeah, Mercedes really uh, threw the spanner in the works going on to that one-stop strategy with those medium tyres. And Lewis Hamilton, who started ninth with that gearbox penalty uh, during the practice sessions, he managed to come up to third, but had a really frustrating race. And, you know, you could have said with the pace that he had, he could have won the race too. But, again, just... Uh, Sebastian Vettel um, outclassing him there and also Hamilton himself you know the team telling him to there's a certain lap time that he's got to be doing and Hamilton wasn't meeting those targets so clearly it's nothing to do with the team on this occasion but the driver just couldn't meet his targets. (coughs) Yeah I think for for Hamilton it's again a case that we see when he's not in his element he gets rattled quite quickly and starts uh, pointing blame at the 
the pit bull and there's only so much they can do. They've given him the car which is capable and we saw that drive already from ninth into what was fourth until Kimi Raikkonen's mishap, which we'll touch on shortly. I think that he has to be satisfied with, with what he ended up having. And sure, he had that early collision with uh, Max Verstappen, but um, it's, it's easy to see. It doesn't take much to prod the four-time champion. Yeah, exactly. So when Vettel's on his game and is, uh, I guess, calm or whatever, he's in a dominant state, whereas it's the opposite for Lewis when he's a bit rattled. Yeah, just doesn't seem to get everything together. But um, one of the highlights, I guess, that Hamilton did produce over the weekend was that amazing triple overtake that he had on uh, three cars. I think it was Alonso, Hulkenberg and Magnussen. So it was a risky move, as he said himself, but, you know, it provided for one of the best highlights, I guess, of the weekend and showing as well that, yeah, you can still overtake in these cars despite not really getting a chance in Melbourne. Yeah, again, it just shows you that um, you get one race in, it's too small of a of a window to, to draw those conclusions and all this talk off the track about making these changes to increase the overtaking as soon as 2019. I think that's all premature. Just let the, the season play out before there's any real uh, definitive uh, reactions made. And certainly this Bahrain, as we mentioned last week, the the night element just brings some kind of flair to the, the racing. And we can see they all put it on the line, none more so than Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, you've got the sparks flying and everything, so it makes for a really good spectacle and whatnot. But uh, yeah, going back to what you said about Kimi Raikkonen, so unfortunate race for them. Um, I guess... It was the second time that it happened during the weekend. It was an unsafe release uh, during his second pit stop. And I guess what had happened is uh, they dropped him too early with the rear left tyre or rear right tyre not being changed and whatnot and actually collected the mechanic as well. And he ended up with a broken uh, leg, which um, he's had successful surgery. So it's good to hear that he will be okay. But yeah. Uh, a second unsafe release, Ferrari penalised heavily financially for that incident. So, you know, that's two races in a row where we've had Ferrari-powered teams. Uh, Haas in the first race, of course, with those pit stop dramas, the wheel nuts and whatnot, and then Ferrari themselves here with Kimi Raikkonen. And it always seems to be Kimi, unfortunately, that uh, suffers from these finger troubles or whatever. We never see Vettel, uh, not to be a conspiracy theorist or anything, but uh, Kimi, we were talking him up as being perhaps in a position to win a, win the race this weekend. Um, he was fastest in practice. He qualifying, I guess he got balked on his uh, final attempt in Q3 for pole position. But, you know, when Kimi is in his element and is building towards a result at the end of the weekend, it just gets taken away from him. So, you know, I wonder when he's going to be able to take a trick, this guy. Yeah, right, and it looked quite good there for a run on Valtteri Bottas to make it a Ferrari 1-2 at that time. And it does seem as though you wouldn't call it, as you mentioned, a conspiracy, but maybe just a, a lack of 100% urgency on the so-called number two Ferrari's side there to, to prioritise him. And clearly every effort goes towards Sebastian Vettel and that nucle nucleus for him to, to have a crack. And clearly that worked out for him on... Sunday, but for Raikkonen, particularly since last season when he's upped his game, it just seems as though he's in the, the wrong place at the wrong time. And it again begs the question whether we will see him actually on top of the podium before he 
hangs up the helmet and a lot of chatter over the last week that uh, intensifying rumours Daniel Ricciardo could be on his way to Maranello for 2019. Yeah, some of the chatter from the paddock, you could say, from Bahrain, but also some of the questions that Kimi was asked in the lead-up to the race and everything about, you know, 2021 and changes that's going to happen to the sport, if there's anything he'd like to see, and Kimi just, in his usual way, just brushed it off saying that, oh, I don't really give it much thought because I might not be there or whatever so you know uh, you can rely on Kimi to tell it like it is and whatnot but you know needs to get some solid results under his belt because he is looking a lot more comfortable in this year's Ferrari than he was last year the year before that so it would be almost an injustice if he doesn't capitalize on that yeah, you just think that at some point uh, the penny is going to drop and uh, obviously hope Sebastian Vettel gets a clean run, but for Kimi Raikkonen just to have an opportunity to be out the front there and everything runs to, to clockwork, particularly those circuits which he really does suit, such as Bahrain. We know over the years his affinity with uh, particularly P2 and then we come to some of those twistier circuits, Hungary and then Belgium and so on. So... Uh, Time is running short for him, but um, signs signs are promising. We can't really blame him too much for this one at all. But uh, I guess if uh, he is on the way out, we could be seeing perhaps a bit more of a selfish Raikkonen in it for his own purposes. Well, yeah, he doesn't have long to wait anyway to try and uh, get a result on the board um, being in China this weekend, of course. But um, moving it on to Red Bull, and it was a double retirement for Red Bull. Very disappointing in course, and I guess uh, to use, uh, to paraphrase what Dan Ricciardo said, it's, you know, it, it can tear your heart out sometimes, uh, Formula One, and you got to feel for him, of course, you know, with all that hype coming into the season, and again, uh, Red Bull in the early races having troubles and whatnot, and they've they've been on the pace, you could say. They've uh, If they were able to survive the race, you could have said that they would have been in amongst the contenders, and if strategy went their way, they could have been up there on the podium, perhaps even targeting the race win. But uh, electronics failure for Daniel Ricciardo, uh, saw him out really early in the race, and then, of course, Max Verstappen getting a bit feisty there. He had a bit of a touch with Lewis Hamilton, got a puncture, and then the lap after that, he ended up retiring as well, so um, not good for Red Bull, uh, especially when, uh, you know, it's a big year for them, as we've said, they've got to get some results there, Um, they can't just continuously blame their engine manufacturer for everything that goes wrong, it's not all going to be their fault, so yeah, you know, something's got to give in that camp, and they've got to if they want to mix it with the guys at the front, they've got to produce the results. Yeah, very interesting contrast to its uh, sister outfit there, now running uh, Toro Rosso, the Honda Power units, and an absolute uh, majestic drive to P4 by Pierre Gasly. And this can only intensify that thought that a Red Bull will try and acquire a batch of its own Honda supply from next season. Uh, we know that they've had a fraught relationship with the uh, Renault slash Tag Heuer for really the past uh, four seasons after the golden era came to a close. So it's going to be a very much watch this space if uh, Toro Rosso sustains that kind of form. Even Brendan Hartley had a solid weekend. Only that penalty for him probably cost him his own berth in the points. And for Red Bull, we know race to race, they're just very mercurial. Depending if they have a victory, it's all... Uh, rose-tinted glasses, and if they have a poor one, it's straight away uh, the blame falls to the French manufacturer. Well, exactly. So that's what I'm saying, that they've got to 
string together some results and not blame their engine manufacturer for whatever happens and whatnot. So, but going over to Toro Rosso, yeah, perhaps one of the highlights of the weekend, Pierre Gasly, he qualified sixth, but was promoted to fifth, of course, with Lewis Hamilton's penalty. And then, of course, he would have finished fifth if it wasn't for Kimi Raikkonen's retirement that bumped him up to fourth in the end. So that ended up being... Honda's best result in Formula 1 since they came back in 2015. So their best result with McLaren in those three years was fifth uh, on a couple of occasions, but fourth in only their second race. That is really good to see. And Honda did bring some upgrades with their engine this weekend, um, despite, you know, having those uh, retirement, well, that retirement for Gasly in Melbourne, which was a a power unit failure. But um, yeah, good to see those upgrades working for them. And of course, Looking at some of the speed trap data as well, uh, Gasly in the Toro Rosso was fastest during, I think, third practice by a fair margin in, through the speed trap. I almost had three kilometers an hour over the next car. So, you know, as you said, could this all be music to Red Bull's ears for next year? But, you know, for Toro Rosso this year, what where what can they achieve with this uh, Honda power unit? We've always said that the Toro Rosso chassis has been really good, but just, I guess, held back by the power. So, you know, where are they going to end up during the year? Expect, yeah, they'll have some penalties to deal with and whatnot, but uh, result-wise, they could be in for a good year from what we've seen this weekend. Mm, certainly, as far as being a testing bed for, for Honda, you'd hope it gets to the stage where they can fight in, in their own right for the pointy end of the field and Pierre Gasly's put himself on the radar particularly if Daniel Ricciardo moves on to even leapfrog a Carlos Sainz who knows he might stay put at Renault and uh, Pierre Gasly gets the hot seat alongside Max Verstappen that that'd be great to see we know the prodigious talent that the the Frenchman is so if that came to pass I think that it'd be much deserved and just for Toro Rosso that environment they've already uh, fostered with Honda you can see that it's much more harmonious than it ever was over the three seasons alongside McLaren. Well yeah just those scenes from after the race you could see it almost felt like as equally as jubilous as Toro Rosso's one and only Grand Prix win back in 2008 or whatever so um yeah a fourth place with their new engine manufacturer um great result for them but moving it on anyway, uh, Kevin Magnussen, a bit angry over the weekend. He ended up <laughs> getting... The angry Viking that he Yeah, a bit, just unleashing the mongrel that he's got in him, which is, in a way, it's good to see. You've you got to have one a mongrel on the grid in whatever uh, motorsport or sport in general. Uh, but yeah, he scored Haas's equal best result of fifth, of course, over the weekend. So, you know, with, I guess, Gasly's result and everything, Haas sort of flew under the radar. But yeah, you know... After the disappointment of Melbourne, they sort of confirmed their pace this weekend and fifth for Magnussen was really good. He was a bit unhappy with Roman Grosjean during the race for balking him and Grosjean contrastingly had a terrible race, you could say. But Magnussen, you know, he's, again, showing the class of a driver he is, but also showing up Grosjean like that as well, you know. I mean, so far we haven't seen any problems with that Haas car, apart from the pit stop dramas, so there's going to be no excuses for Grosjean this year if uh, he doesn't start performing on the same level as Magnussen. Yeah, the Frenchman, final, the final season of his contract there, so it will be interesting if Magnussen continues to outshine him, and for the Dane himself, he'll have designs on getting him getting himself back into really one of those top 
contenders, whether it's, uh, dare we say, Ferrari, that would be left field if they certainly went for someone like him instead of a Daniel Ricciardo. But he's been a bit, uh, a bit I guess, blown off uh, that, um, uh, you could say, the pendulum where he was when he was at uh, McLaren. We thought he was destined for big things and that was blown off course when he was unceremoniously dumped when Fernando Alonso rejoined. So it's good to see that he's just reminding everybody that he's there and he's got that fighting spirit and for Haas have genuinely confirmed that they're in that battle for best of the rest after the big three. Yeah, they could, with both cars scoring points, could perhaps be fourth in the constructors, but, you know, early days yet. Yeah, I think, uh, again, uh, we see Renault perhaps as well. Uh, they're, they're, they're or thereabouts with Nico Hulkenberg. He had a pretty good weekend, but not quite at the level of, of the Haas's at this point. Yeah, as far as the pace is concerned. But anyway... Uh, you know, after Haas, you had McLaren, 7th and 8th, um, after their disappointing qualifying. And uh, Bahrain's always a big race for them as well because of their uh, backers and everything being based there and everything. So uh, the fact that they had a pretty terrible qualifying meant that the onus was on them in the race to perform. Um, Fernando Alonso ended up losing out to Nico Hulkenberg, of course. They battled throughout the race, Renault and McLaren, same engine. It just came down to the chassis, and Hulkenberg ended up in sixth, Alonso seventh, and Stoffel van Dorn eighth. But um, I guess what's important to take away from that is that both drivers have scored points in both races so far. McLaren sit third in the Constructors' Championship, if that's something to, to look at in... Uh, you know, two races into the season and Alonso himself in fourth in the driver's standing. So already a vast improvement from where they were last year, but, you know, it's about keeping that consistency and you keep saying, yeah, Haas is going to be up there as well as a top contender. So, you know, they've got to start beating those guys, Haas, Renault, and I guess Red Bull not really helping themselves with that double retirement either. Oh, it's all about the perspective and for McLaren, as much as seventh and eighth isn't the top fives and podiums they were hoping for instantly it's a darn sight better than any time in really the past four seasons really that last season again with Mercedes are really on the the back foot so at least they've got that consistent presence and it's just about uh honing the all all around performance over a weekend if they can get a a great qualifying and have both cars in the top three or four rows and they can really look at being top five contenders. Well, they're saying a lot is being said still about the fact how they're having to rework parts of their chassis just to accommodate that Renault power, you know, to try and integrate it a bit better. They were certainly surprised when they first saw the Renault power unit, how big it was compared to the Honda, which is a little thing, um, and they could easily package it with the tight rear end that McLaren have in the chassis so having to accommodate that yeah it's a it's a big deal we always said that you know it's not going to be as simple as plug in a new engine and you're, you're going to be fine they've got different architecture and this and that and the way that you integrate it with the chassis that's why being a works team or whatever is better in this hybrid era as everyone says is because you know you work basically under the same roof and you know the integration is a lot more smoother than say if you're a customer team yeah i think mclaren again they had to to wear that bullet that was just that unsustainable with honda that it was best uh, and we've seen now with honda clearly for both parties to to move on and uh, in that medium term mclaren will be looking to secure its own works or quasi-work status from 2021 and beyond. Yeah, so that'll be good to see when it happens. Um, another highlight 
Wow, we've just got so many highlights from Bahrain. Uh, Marcus Ericsson breaking his points drought, of course, finishing ninth for Sauber. Solid race for them. They were one of four drivers to do the one-stop strategy. And the way that he held himself in amongst the points with guys like the Renault and then the McLarens and everyone else around them, um, it's probably his best race in Formula 1. And a lot of people have written off Marcus Ericsson uh, and the fact that, you know, he's still on the grid, they're dubious about and everything. But, you know, he's uh, got a big year ahead of him to try and upstage his uh, more favoured teammate, Charles Leclerc. And being able to score that point there, um, great start. And, you know, for Alfa Romeo in their new partnership with Sauber too, um, it's only speaking progress for them. We'll see what happens throughout the year if they can continuously score points. Yeah, I think the, the Swede realises that the stakes are high there and with Antonio Giovinazzi nipping away for that, that berth alongside Leclerc, he's clearly doubled his efforts, heard some, some talk about how he's really increased his fitness um, component on, in that off-season and for Sauber, it's just a good fill-up when we saw it um, Australia, they looked like they were bringing up the tail and that mantle looks like it's full and quite inexplicably to Williams at this point. Well, yeah, you know, Sergei Sorotkin, as brutal as he was with his comments, he just hit the nail on the head saying that the team looked like idiots from the outside come after their results. So, you know, getting not getting out of Q1 in qualifying and then, of course, finishing 16th and 17th with Stroll, Alain Stroll ahead, um, which was the dead last positions, of course, as well with the three retirements. Um, Williams is looking like they're nowhere at the moment. They've got a car that's undrivable, as if you believe what the drivers say, and all the hype coming into the season about how this will be a really good car because it's designed by Paddy Lowe. The design looked very radical, mirroring what Ferrari did last year, especially around the side pods. And, of course, still having that Mercedes-Benz power unit as well, which is still the benchmark as far as power is concerned. It's all just gone backwards for them, and it's it's going to be a weird season for them. It's hard to look at um, whether they're going to finish the year below above 7th or even 8th, I think. 8th is going to be a struggle considering where they are. They're the only team that haven't scored points after two races. So uh, Force India scored a point there with Esteban Ocon. So it means Williams is the only team on the grid not with a championship point to their name. So I wonder how long it'll be before they can actually get on the board. And crucially, you know, can they get on the board? That's probably the better question to ask. Well, plenty of time yet, but the signs aren't encouraging early. Just the entire environment it seems like a very unhappy place when you've got the the drivers sniping this this early on in the piece you've got to think they're in for a, a long road ahead and the question i guess williams motives moving forward and they, they've really got a question again into the 2021 and beyond where where it sees itself we know they're losing martini as a title sponsor and the backing that that will um, detract from them so a lot of questions for them to to ask and this season's very much a as much as last season was another transitional campaign uh, yeah they, it just can't be transitional every year though um there's something's got to give basically but more on williams another time anyway so uh let's wrap up bahrain then um drivers of the day oh there's so many choices i guess there but um it's hard to go past Pierre Gasly in this case. Um, he drove an exceptional race. It was a good result for, or better than good result for Toro Rosso and, of course, Honda as well. Just um, 
what do you call it, solidifying their presence and the fact that showing that they've made progress too. But, you know, could have easily gone Seb as well because of the way he drove that race and the one-stop strategy, soft tyres for 40-plus laps. But, yeah, I've got to stick with Gasly on this one. Yeah, I would have gone for Gasly as well. But I think Sebastian Vettel, as far as being a championship race, it was really looking like Bottas, for all money, was going to pinch the victory in those final five laps. And Vettel held his nerve. We saw really how uh, just uh, not on rails, the Ferrari, it was almost at a standstill into some of those corners and uh, just managed to, to find the um, the power at the right time down those straights and ho- hold on. And really those points with Lewis Hamilton not able to to get up to P2, I think that could be crucial at the end of the season. And um, go to China, I, I mentioned earlier in the week that uh, if Vettel makes it three from three there, I, I'm going to say it's pretty hard to see um, particularly Lewis Hamilton fighting back. How many times do you see a driver drop the first three races and go on to become champion? Well, that's the thing. I mean, everyone's already said that after the first two races, um, the only time that a driver didn't win the championship after winning the first two races of the year was 1982 when Alan Prost won the first two races, but ultimately Keke Rosberg <laughs> ended up Keke Rosberg ended up going on to win with the one win under his belt. So um, and Vettel himself, the last time he won the opening two races of the season was that dominant 2011 season. So you know it, it's just I guess with 20 with 19 races still to go, it's just. You can't get too carried away, and especially with Ferrari, it's hard to trust them after no matter how good a start to a year they have, they've had in the past, in the recent past, that is. There's always, it just takes one race for them to butcher it, and then they've lost it, you know, and so. You see they've still got some little deficiencies, such as that pit stop, so they've got to iron out a little few Yeah, so until they can have both their cars running strongly at the same time it's going to be difficult to really see um to see them go on to win the championship or predict that they'll win the championship because if they have this these problems with Vettel's car one or two races those two races could easily be won by Mercedes and by Hamilton and that that's game over basically like we saw at the latter part of last year where it was Singapore and then Japan and Malaysia as well so those three races which ultimately lost Vettel the title there but anyway moving it on and um, it was a big weekend as far as news was concerned because we were looking forward to Liberty Media sitting down with the teams and manufacturers to discuss their blueprint um, and their proposals for 2021 now, what was ultimately released to the press was basically what we already knew. So very it was vague. very vague, very watered down, you could say. But it's good to see them reiterating the same the same points that they discussed, I guess, last year and also at the start of this year. So um, breaking it down for you, basically, uh, simplified power units, of course, you know, getting rid of the MGUH and perhaps standardizing uh, components that don't need to be um, that fans don't really need to know about or know about in general a budget cap as well talking about you know putting all the teams in budget cap that obviously wouldn't include drivers and marketing it's just what they spend on their cars and whatnot and for manufacturers perhaps giving him a little bit more uh, money but then also the last point is uh, even distribution of the prize money as well and that's I guess another contentious topic especially with Ferrari still trying to fight for their their bonuses or whatever but it seems like Liberty Media are still going to give him 
their bonus, but least. a portion of it, not the hundred million dollars a year that they currently get. Yeah, I think they're again they're fighting in a corner with Mercedes, uh, them against the rest, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether these two big manufacturers get what they want, and then that the response ultimately is still a lot to play out. I guess again, this is only the the very beginning. They've tabled that offer liberty, and um, the teams will come back to the board perhaps in the the middle part to the late part of this season get something a little bit more definitive. But for now, uh, I guess the outsiders don't really have uh, too much to work with. We're just left to guess what the, the composition of the F1 Beyond 2020 will be <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I guess, you know, it's not like that. that they know more than we do. That's what basically you've got to surmise there. They've got a, a better outline that they've led us to believe at the moment. But... I guess one of the positive things to take away from it is that um, with other manufacturers being present too, the boss of Aston Martin was there too and was, I guess, delighted to hear what the proposals were. So I guess that's sort of firming what their position will be come 2021, this idea that Aston Martin will collaboratively work with Cosworth in collaboration with McLaren as well and we're going to start seeing, you know, little power unit families being created, you know, where, you know having those standardized parts will make it cheaper but it also means right you've got your stock power unit give it to develop by the manufacturer and then each team which is like a little branch can go off and do what they want with it to make it unique themselves so we talk about ferrari then having you know i guess it's little family in the fiat chrysler group so let's say alfa romeo are there what if maserati come in as well in place of haas or whatever then you've got volkswagen audi what if they come into the sport well, and they have big news on volkswagen the new ceos uh, definitely not opposed to spending up so you could say it's pretty decent timing for that that plan for, yeah. for them to so, enter you know, 2021. Volkswagen Audi build a power unit, but then you can have it badged as a Porsche or as a Bugatti or a Lamborghini. So it's it's good. This this idea is finally, you know, you know, as far as the power unit is concerned as well, it's, it's really utilising it to its potential and the fact that it can be used by whichever manufacturer and the synergy that'll be involved in it is, I think, you know, it could be, it could work. So yeah, a lot to look forward to then for 2021, if they can indeed attract all these manufacturers to the sport. And then if that's the case, then yeah, if Mercedes want to say goodbye because they're not happy with the, what they get out of it, then we can wave goodbye to Mercedes because then if it means we get an Aston Martin or a Porsche or you know Lamborghini coming in as well, then you know who are Mercedes-Benz? Yeah, they've really got to understand their place in the, the bigger picture and that talk of, well, really, it's pretty much confirmed. Yeah, they'll be entering Formula E from 2019, so perhaps that's where its priorities lie. So uh, the next, I don't know, three to six months will be crucial in assessing its long-term position in Formula One. And as for Ferrari, it, uh, as much as it's in it with Mercedes now, they're always been unique, and if the money's dangled, I'm sure that they'll they'll remain in whichever capacity. Yeah, the, it's unlikely. It's probably more of a chance that Mercedes will uh, pull the pin instead of Ferrari. Ferrari, they need Formula One, as we say all the time, rather than Formula One needing Ferrari. And speaking of teams disagreeing over stuff again, so over the weekend they did talk about um, overtaking plans to increase overtaking for 2019 and Ross Braun already had um, some proposals there to, to do that and much of it I think was to do with 
um, taking a lot of those complex aero bits off the front wing and simplifying it perhaps to what IndyCar has it at the moment and how they had it, I think, in the, the late 2000s as well with those simple... Um, front wings but yeah teams have already disagreed over that so it doesn't look like it'll be happening but I guess what we saw over the weekend in Bahrain means that we don't really need to make significant changes like it just depends on the circuit and also the tyres as well they were in their elements so you know I mean they're going to criticise Melbourne and Albert Park all they want but Monaco's one of the same races too and I guess we can't really beat up on Albert Park too much so yeah Always the first race of the season, especially when you've got some new components and whatnot. It's always going to be a little bit more um, timidness from the drivers there. And once they get a feel for the car, and again, Bahrain just lends itself so nicely to that spectacle of the overtaking. It's it's very unique. And from circuit to circuit, we're going to get some doozies and we're going to get some real pearlers like we had last weekend. So, uh, again, the, the knee-jerk reactions, it's uh, quite amusing to follow on a race by race basis yeah well it's you know formula one and its followers for you just knee-jerk reactions every weekend day in day out but um speaking of tires as well uh, pirelli talked about how they're going to introduce low tread tires for three races barcelona france and also silverstone uh 0.4 millimeter thinner tread on the tires to create i mean they're races that typically um with such low tyre deg that it would be one-stop races having the low tread means that they'll be forced to do multiple stops as well. And we saw from the weekend that having multiple tyre strategies in a race does make things exciting. It's not like they're limited by the fact that... It's not like we're in 2011 or 2013 where they're limited by what tyres that they're on. Um, It just comes down to how they play it strategically and we still get to see these cars at their top spa, uh, top pace as well which is good and a bit of talk uh, not not uh, explicitly a conspiracy theory that mercedes probably struggling more so than in recent seasons with the pirelli compounds that this is somehow going to to suit them not having to run as long on a specific compound um with the the thinner rubber there more stops so the the strategy will be i guess uh They'll be less uh, at a compromise by running longer. But uh, I think that as it stands, uh, you can see Ferrari and Mercedes based on at Bahrain. It shouldn't have too much of an influence on where things stand at those select events. Well, hopefully it's not a repeat of 2013 where they end up changing the compounds to favour a team as far as like what happened with Red Bull there. So And then they ran away with the last nine races of the season, which was just... Yeah, well, we're not at the point where we had exploding tyres like a sniper in someone's eye. Yeah, well, that too. So, yeah, we'll see how they go. But, yeah, just really enjoyed Bahrain for the spectacle, the strategy as well. So hopefully we see the same thing in China this weekend as well. Um, as we said before as well, Daniel Ricciardo um, has repeated the same thing, that Honda are basically helping the chances to be with Red Bull in the future with results like that over the weekend with Toro Rosso. Um, but, you know, what does that, what can we take away from that? That the fact that, you know, maybe there is a chance that Daniel Ricciardo might stay with Red Bull if he's uh, keeping an eye on Honda as well and how they're, progress- how they're progressing. Could he possibly see himself in a Red Bull Honda next year? Um, it doesn't sound like he's completely checked out, like some people say. Oh, he can't afford to this early. So much can change. And I guess he's uh, in deference to Kimi Raikkonen and on, on the off chance that the Finn really does impress when he finally gets an opportunity to have a, a clean run. Ferrari might, for a fifth consecutive season, renew him when we think that he's been kicked out the door. So 
Ricardo can't be at the point where he's uh, ostracising himself and uh, letting Max Verstappen become the sole um, factor within uh, Red Bull. We know how much how little rope uh, Helmut Marco requires, and he marginalises the other, the Australian driver <laughs> in the camp. So I think that. Right now, just keeping the cards close to his chest, and he was on for a good race again. We saw how well he did it at Melbourne, so uh, a lot to play out, and I'm sure when we get to the, as he said himself, Ricardo, the European events is when we'll hear more about his future. Yeah, that'll be one big talking point, I guess, for the rest of the season, but we want to see them do well here in China, of course, as well. And finally, to wrap up there with the Digest, and uh, F2 was back this weekend, too. We had some exciting races to kick off the season. Lando Norris, of course, the McLaren Junior driver, winning the first race of the year from pole position. A dominant win it was, and excuse the Star Wars pun, but yeah, Lando hit light speed, basically, with the start. It was, I mean, he was, I think, three seconds up the road by the end of the first lap with that start he had so it was a bit like he jumping into he jumped into hyperspace there so and then Artem Markolov of course winning the second race of the weekend it's a big year for Markolov too uh from what people say it's his fifth year in Formula 2 GP2 whatever you want to call it and if he really wants to make an impression and move forward in his career then he's got to end up uh, having a good season but yeah good start for Lando Norris there of course as well and um yeah McLaren with eyes on him for the future and he could potentially be, you know, everyone keeps saying this about McLaren Junior drivers, they could be the next Lewis Hamilton. So we could say the same thing about Norris, but he's British also. So a, f- a good British prospect for the future too. With yeah, only one Brit on the grid this year too, the, uh, to believe it or not. Yeah, I guess if he can make the Kessel run in 12 parsecs or whatever, then he must be a good bet for the future. And that talk... Uh, not exclusively, not officially, that he has been, he and Nick DeVries, who of course is another on McLaren's roster, that um, they've been promised drives in various capacities in Formula One next season, whether that means they might be farmed out to, who knows, a Force India or, or a Renault, dare we say, someone there, if they can put their best foot forward. But Lando Norris, he's certainly showing signs of being in a hurry rather than uh, going through maybe a three- or four-year process, unlike a, a Markalov, who you mentioned in his fifth season in F2. Yeah, but, Markalov's, really yeah, but Markalov's career has not exactly been, what do you call it, smooth sailing <laughs> for him. A lot of incidents involved in as well. So, um, you know, if he can iron that out finally, then, yeah, he can he can progress. But someone like, yeah, Norris again, you know, following in the footsteps of like a Pierre Gasly or Charles Leclerc coming out winning in winning the championship F2 and then progressing over to Formula 1. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye out on how that championship goes this season. And, um, yeah, we wish them all the best, and especially Lando Norris. So let's move it on then. Chinese Grand Prix preview. And, um, yeah, Ferrari coming to Mercedes-AMG's turf, you could say, to make it 3 from 3 in 2018. And Mercedes um, having won pretty much all the races in the recent past at this circuit. Uh, Hamilton with five wins in total here, dwarfing everyone else. Vettel, he's only won one race here, and that was his main win back in 09, of course. And uh, the last win for Ferrari came here back in 2013 at the hands of Fernando Alonso. But considering that the considering the wave that they're on at the moment, I reckon it could be a weekend where we see Ferrari make it three from three. Yeah, and as I just mentioned before, if they did convert, that would be huge for its championship bid and they've only really got to work on those one percenters we know last season certainly in the first half that they 
weren't far away from from those victories and Mercedes just had that raw speed to get particularly Lewis Hamilton over the line so a good uh, Saturday for Ferrari get on the front row a good start and uh, just being assured of itself with the strategy not not being bullied into something by Mercedes uh, worked out well for them last weekend so they do it again here and I think um, the odds on them claiming that title will shorten quite dramatically. Well you've got to exactly what you just said that they've got to be the ones dictating the strategy and forcing Mercedes into uh, stopping rather than the other way around where last year we saw even though Mercedes I guess in general their car was a lot less um, drivable than the Ferrari but they use strategy to their advantage they use that extra speed that they had in their power unit to their advantage but Ferrari if they can iron out what you say those one percenters they could be the ones who are dictating the terms and if they make it three from three then yeah Mercedes are going to really have a lot of head scratching to do but it is Mercedes of course and you know even if Ferrari go three from three three from three I think Mercedes still have a way of bouncing back into this title fight. Yeah I think um, China it's I don't know. You could you could call it as much as a of a similar event to Melbourne, more so than Bahrain. So it could could be one where it's a bit hard to to draw too much of a conclusion. But obviously, there's more to play for for Mercedes. So they'll be taking extra care not to have any of these issues. They really need to jag a victory. Exactly, and weather's always a factor. You could say in Shanghai too. Rain, I think, is around for Friday for practice at least. We don't know about. Uh, qualifying of the race itself so um, if there is a bit of weather around throwing a, a spanner into the works um, the quick turnaround also from Bahrain should catch out the teams that are ill-prepared you know so what we saw in Bahrain it might not be the same story we should see a lot of overtaking and which should be good um, because of the wide corners and of course the long back straight that you know will, is essentially just a big drag strip but we'll, we'll talk as well there that there won't be an extra DRS zone unlike at Australia and Bahrain <laughs> where they had the third Oh, well, Bahrain, they only had um, well, two, the they, two, but they, they extended they mentioned it. it, didn't they? Yeah, so it was extended. Yeah. We saw Australia, that un, unheard of third DRS. So yeah, and, and it didn't really help, of course, in the end. No. But, um, you know, going into turn one there at China, it's always a bit of a hot spot. And I just think back to Danny Kvyat's uh, torpedo into turn one, Sebastian Vettel, back in 2016. So, um yeah, you know, a lot can happen going into the into the first couple of corners, that complex there. So qualifying on the front row will be crucial and Ferrari have shown that they can get pole position despite all that uh, hoo-ha about party modes and whatnot in the first race. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens. But I guess it's Red Bull who they're going to have to get the results to bounce back this weekend. Um, Verstappen was on the podium here last year uh, early on in the season. So, you know, there's no saying that Ricardo Verstappen with the pace that they have shown so far that they can't score a podium let alone go on to win Red Bull have had a happy hunting ground you could say in oh no sorry Vettel only won one race did Weber win in China not quite he came yeah. out of that good drive to third in 2011 and a couple of seconds in there so he so it's not really a happy hunting ground for Red Bull either but you know they've, they've got a good car they can perhaps get in there so we'll just have to wait and see but should be a good weekend all round yeah, I think again, Ferrari and Mercedes, hard to go past them and Red Bull will just want both drivers having an unaffected weekend and get one car on the podium. That's already going to be uh, the best haul for the season to date. Yeah, doing that would be great and, you know, 
Fernando Alonso surprise result in the McLaren. We always talk about that. You <laughs> Every know? weekend, it's like, will this be the one well, McLaren on the podium? No. Next no, weekend, not on the podium, but just time. top five again. We'll see. Uh, what about Toro Rosso as well? Will they be caught out, I guess, on that drag strip there if the Honda still lacks power? But from what they showed in Bahrain, they have a they don't really have any deficits as far as uh, straight line speed is concerned. But again, circuit to circuit, if they're not prepared after seven days then yeah or less than seven days in fact if they're not prepared then it could be a difficult weekend yeah if they can get on the, again the first four rows i think that'd be crucial to top five and that sneaky chance if something does strike the the front runners of a not so much of a fluke podium but a fortuitous one fair enough well you know i'm saying it now i hope i'm not proved wrong probably will be but ferrari three from three sounds good yeah, I second that as much as uh, you want to see some variety. I think that that would really make uh, Mercedes genuinely, despite last season when Vettel had that really strong run, that uh, he never really won those multiple events. And Mercedes would really have to be um, looking at how to just peg it back over a longer period and really making that extra effort to, I don't know, put Bottas into a role where he's got to go out of his uh, way to deny Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton will really have to scrap harder than he has at any time since 2014. Well you were saying last week didn't you that this is the first time that this is the first time that Ferrari has won back-to-back races since 2010 or something so yeah um, yeah, that's right so there you go that's a a big statement in itself but making it three in a row when was the last time they won three races consecutively so that'd be off I don't know, maybe 08, I think, Massa and Raikkonen. Between those guys. So there you go. That's a a big statement to put out there. And, you know, can they make it come true? We'll just have to wait and see. Um, Let's wrap things up anyway for this week. Whatever our sporting moments, I guess, were. Um, Quite a few out there as well. I've already put them... because of how many there were, I just wrote a couple down that I thought were really big moments. Craig Lowndes, of course, um, winning his first race in over 620 days um, with that win in Tasmania, of course. Uh, I guess it all came down to his pace and everything, and he's. it looks like they've finally got the car back to where he wants it. It was his first win for the Autobahn, or the Autobahn Lowndes Racing Team and with his new engineer John McGregor who came under a lot of criticism last year too Um, Jensen Button was on the podium in his first Super GT race in Japan Um, Jack Miller maiden pole position in uh, MotoGP in Argentina, crazy race that was as well and a lot of fallout that we can't discuss this week unfortunately but we'll talk about it next week hopefully so yeah it's hard to really pick one between those three but you know beyond that was there anything else that caught your eye over the week or Oh, probably wasn't uh, so much of a memorable occasion, but any time Collingwood gets the biscuits over Carlton, it's one to, to take very uh, happily and a much-needed victory for Collingwood to kickstart its campaign. A lot of injuries, again, striking the, the club as it's done pretty much every season in Nathan Buckley's tenure, so they've got to take it where they can and a big game again for them tomorrow night so it might not strictly be something that everyone's going to have a stop the press and say Collingwood's got a win but uh, in the context of their season it's always nice to see the first victory particularly of the season. Yeah chipping away slowly and I guess 
that first quarter was almost diabolical, the start that Carlton got. But then, you know, the next three quarters, Collingwood just really put the, the nail in the coffin for the Blues. And it, yeah, it was a good win for them. I mean, I'd talk more about footy, of course, but, you know, my team, the Cowboys in the NRL, aren't really enjoying things at the moment. So, you know, I can't really say that my sporting moment of the week was to do with <laughs> football. So, yeah, playing Canterbury Bulldogs this week up, up in uh, Townsville. So, hopefully, I've got something to smile about come Sunday morning after after the game so yeah but anyway yeah with a lot going on I guess and a big weekend coming up too of course and I'm quickly going to point out as well that um, the new Bend circuit in uh, South Australia is going to have its inaugural race this weekend too with Australian Endurance Championship with the GT cars heading there so that'll be in interesting few, to see got, I think we've got three supercars drivers yeah getting a bit of a getting a bit of an early look into the circuit as well before they head there in their supercars come August so um, yeah it'll be a busy weekend of course and uh, finally we get to watch a race um, at an acceptable time because uh, I was struggling come Monday morning after watching Bahrain and then the MotoGP straight afterwards and it was just a bit of a, a slow day, you could say, being at work following that. So, yeah, having an afternoon race here for us, yeah, we'll be... Got to make the most of it because after that, it won't be like previous seasons. It'll be not 10, not 11, but 11, 10 p.m. Or if you're in New Zealand, 1, 10 a.m. Oh, well, so didn't, uh, did, you, well, did, you see that, did you see that graphic that uh, FOM released about the what times the race is starting? It's like, okay, uh, 29, 10, in you, the race would be on at uh, 29, 10 in the evening or whatever. It's like, I didn't know we had a 29th hour all of a sudden. And over here, it was 27, 10, so rather than... Liberty's trying to fit in a lot more time than can be actually a full yeah, We've so got just inventing time. Yeah, now. just invent time all of a sudden. So, you know, that was... Well, I did uh, see on the uh, little uh, sneaky aside on the uh, the graphics, which still have a few little teething issues, there was a there was a little error at Bahrain at one stage, not withstanding the lap counter, which was frozen on lap 12. Yeah, it was stepped on. So, I was like... It wasn't only this. There was at one moment where there was a turn 44. Turn 44, listed, so yeah. Nod to Lewis Hamilton. We don't, we've not so gone back to the endurance. The real, that'd be like... <laughs> Three times endurance layout. Yeah, with that endurance layout, that just, uh, you know, every time you play F1 2010, you just get reminded of how diabolical it was. So, yeah, mm, at least it wasn't At that. least it wasn't a repeat of, you know, last name versus last name or whatever that we've had in Melbourne. So, you know, oh, well, it, it, it's going all good for them so far. I'm really liking the new graphics, you can say, for for um the races and all that and you know even that intro theme that they've got is slowly starting to get a bit catchy with me so you know i catch myself sort of humming it to myself at work all the time so it's just like yeah well you know they're, they're hitting the right chords you could say liberty media with what they're doing with the product this year so hopefully we get a good race in china to continue that trend so um until next week then uh that's all for today and uh Enjoy the race weekend and we'll see you guys next time. Till then.